Changemakers, welcome back to the Engage for Good podcast. I'm your host, Allie Murphy. Frontier Co-op is a 40,000-person, member-owned herbs, spices, and botanicals cooperative that was founded in 1976. Since then, it's been a leader in social impact and employee-focused initiatives. In today's episode, I chat with Frontier's CEO, Tony Bedard, about the organization's philosophy, doing good works. In 2021, Frontier committed $225,000 over three years to continue its partnership with Willis Dady Homeless Services. If you're not familiar with what this is, the program is part of Frontier's 2022 Hayward winning initiative, Breaking Down Barriers to Employment. It identifies individuals returning to society who are eager for a second chance after being incarcerated or facing other challenges such as homelessness or lack of transportation and it provides them with the resources to overcome these systemic barriers to employment. The program has directly impacted Frontier's business, solving its hiring needs by hiring 20% of its production employees through its second chance hiring practices. In addition, more than 140 individuals have gone through the apprenticeship program thus far. Aside from this initiative, we also dive into the co-op's worldwide sourcing and international development projects. Tony has traveled the world to visit small-scale organic growers, led more than 25 humanitarian missions to El Salvador and Haiti, and has supported dozens of community building and business building projects in the co-op grower communities. In today's episode, we'll explore how to evaluate employee and societal needs to create a program that's equitable and impactful, the genesis of the Breaking Down Barriers to Employment initiative, how partners that are subject matter experts are crucial for true impact. What Tony learned while developing Breaking Down Barriers to Employment with his team. How their CSR work extends to a global scale. And Tony's advice for marrying business and societal needs. And with that, let's get started. Hey, Tony, welcome to the podcast. Well, hey, th- hi, Allie. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Would you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? I'm the CEO here at Frontier Co-op. And uh, Frontier Co-op's a uh, cooperative made up of over 40,000 members. We've been around since 1976. Um, we are, are sort of claim to fame is that we source high quality spices, herbs, and botanical products. And we do it in a, a very socially responsible and sustainable way. So. Um, we live, the company itself has lived uh, with the idea and the purpose that you can do good in business and it works for your company. So we're very much someone from the very beginning in 1976 till now that really have taken that and made it part of, it's always been part of our DNA. I want to dive into that philosophy a little bit more, but first I like to get to know people on the, the professional realm, but then also something about them personally. So what's something about you personally that you could share with listeners? Oh, let's see. I always go to this kind of thing. I, w- I had an interesting, I guess I thought it was interesting, interesting <laughs> childhood. I grew up with a family of 16 kids. So, wow. I, so um, you know, uh, not your conventional sort of um, childhood and stuff. But um, I think that's probably, uh, probably the, you know, the more, maybe one of the more interesting things about me. And I think it probably sets my philosophy and my approach to um, the way I do my work. Okay, so let's get into that philosophy a little bit more. You believe in doing well by doing good. Talk to us about how that plays out at Frontier Co-op. 
you know, I think it's a good, I mean, I think it's a good mantra for any business just so you know, but I think that, um, you know, uh, frontier in, you know, starting in 1976, a little bit out of the hippies from the sixties and really had a, a broader sort of philosophical approach to work. I didn't join it until 1991. Um, so I've, I've been only 30, you know, 31 years, only, only 31 years. And, um, and when I came here, um, I recognized from the very beginning that they're doing things different and, and, um, you know, it struck me, um, that, you know, during my interview process, as I walked down the aisle, the CEO looked up at a crate of tea and he says, um, uh, you see that, see that tea? That's a year's wages for a family halfway around the world. Be happy to the family you were born to. That might've been the first time in my life I was thought I was privileged as, mm -hmm. you know, out of my childhood, but that's, that was very much the truth. And, and, and when I came here in 1976, they would had on-site childcare and they had a cafeteria, things that were way, when I came in 1991, but since 1996, they had childcare, they had um, on-site cafeteria, they were doing flexible policies, we were 80% women, so these things were very much made sense. So I identified that, and, and, and it's just over the years, um, um, and, and we're very much at a, less than $10 million um, in sales and less than 100 people, we're very much already out in the world making a difference. It was really fighting above our weight class when it comes to that kind of work. So it's been there. It's, it's been meaningful to us. We re I recognize from the very beginning what a unique company and the opportunity I had here and then how we could build you know, over the years on that. I think that's such an important piece to point out, too, is that the work that you're doing today is incredibly important, but it also has roots that go all the way back to the beginning. You're talking about 80 percent women back in 1976 and 91 and having child care at that time. That's not as common as it is today. I want to talk more about breaking down barriers to unemployment. What was the inspiration for this program? And did it have something to do with I heard Iowa had record low unemployment at the time? Yeah, yeah, very much. There's where the work, you know, so you do good and it works, right? So we had a business need. We were growing. Um, Frontier's been um, fortunate to be able to have, you know, decades long growth. And we were growing and unemployment was very low. And um, we were trying to solve for that. And, and uh, you know, I know this is the podcast, but if you were sitting, you know, sitting up in where I am in our office, I'm out in the middle of a cornfield in Iowa, right? We have, better, <laughs> we have a, we have a, 20 some acre prairie and, and surrounded by cornfields here in Iowa. And so we're a little bit rural. And so finding people to fuel that kind of growth. So I was invited to go to a prison program and I, it was one over in o Omaha is a CEO of your life for these inmates. And, uh, you know, without going too deep into it, it was one of the most impactful days of my life. I mean, I recognized that there were people there that were smarter than I am, um, better presenters than I am. Um, more prepared and they, they, they pitched business plans. Um, and, um, and my job was just kind of to work with them on that for the day. And so I came back from there and I said, you know, this is a population that we need to start to look at. So we started looking at returning citizens and, and from there we built the rest of the program. Right. And, uh, um, it, you know, we, 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 uh, um, hired our first, um, returning citizen. Uh, they were remarkably good, um, they integrated well. We we are very um, cognizant of um, you know privacy, so we don't we don't we're very we just I, I'm I'm interested where they're at and where they're going, not where they've been. So we you know we we brought this person in and it just it just worked. They were a great employee, and we just built on that and and built a lot of other services off that idea. But it really was out of need, and we you know it was built all the rest of the programs that we have today.
Talk to me a little bit about the terminology of returning citizen, because I think that's something that not everybody would be familiar with. I can I gather what it means, but why are those words in particular important to you? The terminology, obviously, these are, you know, formerly incarcerated people. Um, they've been involved in the justice system and, and, and are coming on the other side. I mean, I, I have, you know, I have no idea your background, but I, I, I'm pretty sure that you know, uh, that more than once in my life, I was on the wrong side of the fork of the road. And only mm-hmm. between them and me was that um, I had a I had a family and a, and a framework of which I can get back up and go back the other road. And so, you know, we you know, these are people that that, again, we recognize um, there are many, many good people who found the wrong got in the wrong place at the wrong time. So we look at it, you know, we, we, we very much look at these uh, this this these re-entry employees as a critical um element of our success but but only you know honestly in all fairness only part of the breaking down barriers to employment um program because we there's many other pools of um employees that we that you know that we tap into in order to fuel the kind of growth we need mm-hmm. okay so you mentioned that this is a piece of the program so give us an overview of the program at large and what's included yeah, I mean, the elements of breaking down barriers to employment are, you know, we, we talked from the very beginning, right, subsidized day, daycare and on-site daycare. I mean, it was, originally, it was all on-site because we had one location. We now have, right. you know, four factories, right? So we until we get scale, we can't put on-site there. So we subsidized daycare. And we were a dollar an hour for, um, holy, holy cow, dollar an hour from 1976 to, you know, 25 years later, and even today wow. it's $2 an hour. Um, and uh, um, so that's big. And we have, you know, over 110 kids and uh, roughly 80 parents that are involved in one way or another that um, it expands into transportation. Um, many of our, um, you know, formerly incarcerated people um, um, are, are uh, those individuals that have been struggling with homelessness. Uh, um, some of the uh, uh, other employees that we get, you know, maybe from the refugee population, from the women's shelter, the, there was transportation is an issue. And so we, we bought a van and we coupled with um, some partners in Cedar Rapids and we run um, three, you know, ship all three of the main, in the main plant, three shifts transportation for people. And so we, they pay $5, we pay $5 and, and we're able to provide that because it's hard when you're coming out of those kinds of tough situations to get to work. And um, so I think it's, you know, there's multi, there's a multiple layers in there. We have an apprenticeship program, um, you know, of course, the second chance hiring. It's all those kinds of things really build out the entire program. And we're, you know, we're open to just continuing to, to expand it. Okay, so I'm curious, you talked already about the business need, and that was kind of the impetus for some of this. How did you, inv- how did you evaluate the employee and societal needs to create a program that's equitable and impactful? You know, I mean, obviously, I mean, I think business can be a great force for change. I think it, it can solve a lot of society's issues, um, not all in and of itself. So, you know, we had a need. And in all fairness, um, we, you know, it's not just the the formerly incarcerated. We we had a need and we had more than that was able to supply for. So we um, we had already been supporting because it's part of our, um, you know, our, our, our DNA, right? Supporting the local women's shelter and the homeless shelter here in, in, in Cedar Rapids. And um, so I kind of can, came up with the idea that we were going to make the, the homeless shelter our temporary service. And they were going to be the people that were going to line up 
all kinds of different populations, right? And even, I mean, just just regular temp agency, whether but 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 deal with all the other services there and 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 really take that markup so that they could provide that markup you normally pay a temporary service mm-hmm. over and above what the wages that person get, and they can use that for the services it takes for counseling, for um, you know, follow-up, for you know, uh, other services they're providing. And so I it was like, it was like, you know. Uh, a way for us as an organization to to look at this thing in a more, I think, um, sustainable and almost um, comprehensive way. So it's, it just tied a bow, to, bow around things, and it, it really working with Willis Dady, which was one of the, was is the homeless shelter here in the community, was one of the better things we did because I'm one of those people that believes that you can do anything if you put your mind to it. But I realize they're like, you got to slow down a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. You don't understand what these people bring to to work every day. It's not like to just get up and go, you know, it's not, their lives aren't as simple as yours. And so we needed to kind of step back and use them and learn from them and, 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 and really honestly um, tap into them to make this a success. If it was me, you know, I, I would just say, Hey, you know, get in, you know, get on the van, let's go and chop, chop kind of deal. And, and let's, and it just, it's much more complicated than that. And I learned a lot during that process. I really did. Um, and it's what's made us successful is those good partners. Okay. So one of the things that makes in general campaigns and initiatives like this successful is having those local partners is relying on often nonprofits for their subject matter expertise. You talked about Willis Dady a little bit, but who are some of your partners and how specifically do you work together? Well, some are by Willis Dady. We have the Catherine McCulley Center here by. We, we work with the Sixth Judicial Center, which is where returning citizens come through. There's a number of different entities here in the Cedar Rapids area that I think helped us reach different populations. And how we've done do that, I mean, it's, it's a lot of different levels. I mean, the ones I like best are the ones that actually are build on themselves, like with Willis Dady, right? But we also support in other ways. I mean, we certainly... Um, make grants to these organizations and we help them build the other parts of their services and stuff. So, um, you know, as a company, we continue to um, do roughly 5% of our pre-tax profit and social responsible projects in here and around the world. And so, you know, in our company, um, anybody can do the math is, you know, it's roughly a million dollars or so a, a year that we consistently be able to do over the last five or six years to to really support a lot of these kinds of organizations beyond the just employment piece of it. And when we you touched on this a little bit, but when we run initiatives for the first time, we usually uh, learn a lot along the way, or at least I know that I do. What are some of the things that you learned through creating this program? First off, you don't have all the answers. Okay, like you, you have to listen to those partners. And I, I just remember distinctly them looking across the table and it's like, you know, it's not quite as simple as you think this is going to be. <laughs> and, um, and you know, it, it's, you, you, it's just, it's like any good thing. It's like here at work, right? I mean, you surround yourself like, with people who are willing to share that know more than you do. And, and certain parts of it, you we work collectively together and we have improved the program over time. And so, you know, I would have never thought about bringing a counselor a, you know, a coach into our HR office on a regular basis, giving them space and allowing them to handle some of these issues or have a place where these people can go and talk about, you know, the kinds of things that they were facing. I mean, I'm not as, I wish I was more aware and I try to get more aware of it. I had no idea that, you know, we had to create a space for some of these people to be able to store all their life's possessions when they came that day. 
Hmm. I would have never. We have lockers for everybody. Guess what? It it doesn't hold a great big giant duffel bag, right? Yeah. That was either simple, but it's. I know simple, but important. I mean, if that That's is something what, you might not have thought of either, if you're not someone who's been in that situation before. Absolutely. I mean, would it never dawned on me? I'm a hundred percent sure I can't get my life's possessions in a small closet. Right. So I didn't know. Yeah. So I don't, I didn't understand it. It's that sounds simple, but it's a good example of, you just have to think a little bit differently about it. You also have to be able to, um, and we've always been this flexible in our policies. Like, until you know, till you know, sort of the, till the day I die or leave here, or they throw me out, or however that works at this company, I, I always write, try to manage the individual. Like, right? Policies and procedures are made for people who can't figure out how to do it right, um, and so you have to be able to do that. I think Frontiers had that philosophy, and that makes this program successful. You have to consider that they they may need a little bit more latitude because they have not then asked to cl- punch the clock and go to work every day on time it, it, for a long time. So these are the kinds of things that your partners can help you with. They also can take those sensitive conversations off your lap. And, and that's why we've been successful is listening and then, and then trying to facilitate around the edges. Can you share a story of someone who went through this program to kind of bring the program to life for us? Yeah. You know, we, I, I have a few of them. Um, I, you know, Ooh, yay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we do, but, but, but I want to make sure everybody, you know, uh, your listeners understand the last thing, the last thing I'm trying to do right now, you know, is sort of market using these, these people as, you know, pawns or something, right. It, it I, our first one that I mentioned that came that first, our first really, you know, formerly incarcerated person was, um, was when he finally was honored by the state of Iowa, by the governor as the returning citizen, a year after he'd been here, no one in this organization believed he had been in prison. Mm. To this day, they don't believe it. Okay. That's back in 2017, 18 timeframe. So um, he, he was, um, he was a great example of somebody who had been, you know, spent 14 years in prison but I think one of the, so he, but he shared I, the point I, I want to make there is he, he decided, I said, well, you're, you know, you're sort of going Hollywood on me now. So I really literally had to meet him right before the video um, was done on that, um, on that gentleman. And uh, just because I, I, I just made a special point that no, I, and I haven't, but we've had people come forward and we have a, um, um, a, a really good example of a, a woman in our factory, Alicia. And, and, her story is, is, is nothing true. I mean, it sort of makes it work worth working. And Alicia came to us and she had been, um, had, had spent some time incarcerated and she, she was working for someone else and she was, um, I don't know if it was going to get promoted or, or put on full time, but they, all of a sudden they realized that she had been in prison. So they fired her. Yep. And I get full body goosebumps when you say that. I mean, like, like, like I'm not dumb. Like why would I get rid of a good employee, right? But that's what it is. So like she came here and had a really tough life and found herself for a myriad of reasons um, on the in the wrong side of things. Had spent some time um, incarcerated, and she uh, she came out and she found she came here and like daycare was important and and maternity leave was important. 
she she was um, pregnant when she came here, and now she's come here and she's she's got a car, she's got a house, she's got kids to come here. She she um, um, has gotten promoted, and all of this stuff in a relatively short amount of time because she's really really good. Yep. So that's you know that's that's you know that's a good, that's one of the stories that's been shared, and she's been good about it. She's come forward and 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 talked a little bit about it because I think she. I think she's proud of herself and she should be and, and, and an example for other people. Um, so, you know, we've, we've got a number of those, but uh, you know, those are a couple of them where, you know, the same thing with Michael, our, you know, our first returning citizen, he, he got a car, got married, had a kid, um, got insurance, you know, all the kinds of stuff that all of us seem to take for granted when we first yep. started in the work world. So. One thing that I'm remembering from kind of the prep work that I did, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that when the returning citizen comes and works for you, the majority of the people that work at Frontier don't actually know where they came from. So it's kind of it is their choice if they want to share that or not, but it's it's kind of a, a private matter. Is that true? Hundred percent. There's only only people that know the background are a couple people in our HR department, mm-hmm. and their direct manager so they can you know in all fairness kind of be able to identify things but other than that i've never i haven't the foggiest idea i do an orientation with all employees 30 minutes for each you know for for the group they get a couple days worth and i jump in for my you know 30 minutes to one hour of fame but um it's um i make that very clear to people and occasionally they'll share it in the orientation with me Mm -hmm. because they they want to but other than that it's it's I, it's, it's not even relevant in a lot of ways. I mean, be like me coming here and telling you my background during the, you know, my first day was like, yeah, great. Who cares? Right. Can you work? Are you going to come to work? You know, are you, are you going to do a good job? I think that's the kind of conversation I think we should be having. Not, not, you know, how the heck you find us, you know? I love that. So talk to us. We want to shift a little bit away from program specifics and more into your advice. So how do you think that organizations other than your own can think about overcoming some of these systemic barriers to craft programs of their own? I think they got to they got to do some self-evaluation. And if you're buying into our purpose that doing good works, right, you got to figure out what you need, what you need in your business. And then you've got to go out there and see how that, you know, it's, it's an iteration, right? You, you want to do some good, but how can you do that good, right? Well, it's got to make sense for you. I mean, while I understand the role of, 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 of charity, um, I think businesses should just start from the inside out. I mean, I challenged our local, and we, we actually set this program up, but I challenged our local brand, bank to be an alternative to payday loans. Yeah. Hmm. And so, you know, for a little bit of money, we can, uh, we can sort of um, um, back the, 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 our individuals, right? Our individual employees, but the bank can play a role there too. And what are they doing for society? Well, people aren't paying 200% interest. And you, if you're it's coming crazy. out and it's crazy stuff, right? And so if you come to our company, you know, you know, you can, you can get in advance, you know, and, you know, and, and we have a lot of other programs that, that, that are just, you know, we, we do a lot of things, in, you know, to help people financially straight up, but also just, you know, you, let's educate you that let, get in this program, you know, we back it, right? We fund it and you can go out there and you can maybe get a little, you know, get a little bit advanced in the check until you get yourself on your feet and the bank can play a role in that. So there's all kinds of things or whether it's, 
um, food waste, right? And we do, we work in the, we're in the natural food industry, right? We work with retailers. How are you doing that? I think that's the kind of thing. I think there's society, there's, a, I mean, there are so many facets of needs in society. It isn't hard to iterate that between what you can do and what you should do. And mm-hmm. that's, and that's what Frontier's done. I mean, um, well, I haven't even gone into outside of the Breaking Down Barriers program. I haven't gone into what we do on the worldwide basis in terms of our sourcing. Yeah. Why don't you share a little bit about that? Yeah, that's I mean, that's where we that's where we really, really, really institutionalize some of this stuff. I mean, we took for granted the child care from day one is because in all fairness, the, everybody just brought the kids to work. It was before OSHA wandered around and they, the kids played <laughs> it was before you had licensed child care. And I think that statute of limitations is up on the fines there. But um, we, uh, we, you know, that was there. But very early on, they were they were sourcing product from around the world directly. And, and, and when I came here, they were it was a big deal back then to give some computers to uh, um, uh, uh, one of our partners in Mexico in this room. And now today we have projects all over the world. Um, one of our greatest ones and best ones is a, a, a cooperative called Fetacavera. And it's got 33,000 Mayan families that grow our organic turmeric, um, cardamom, and allspice. And it's, you know, they're made up of about 43 other co-ops that that roll up under this master co-op that does things like value-added work in terms of processing and pasteurization, and then they market it, right? Mm-hmm. So I was just there this fall. Um, we have had a partnership since, you know, roughly 2015, and it started very simply with helping with tools for their business building, like sorting, you know, screens and magnets, and it's moved into... Um, uh, community projects. We opened a, a brick and mortar dental clinic. Um, I was just there at last um, earlier this fall. We have a mobile clinic with medical that goes into the um, into the villages. Um, in, the, in return, we get quality product. We get um, um, good pricing. We get they commercialized organic turmeric to Latin America that was never there. Um, we're on to the next phase where we're helping them with pasteurization and food safety, hundreds of thousands of dollars between us, them and USAID to mm-hmm. take this to the next level. This is the kind of stuff like doing good, right? It's going to make them all that value added work stays in that community with, with tens of thousands of small, you know, small landowners. And it's different than coming in and, solving a problem or giving something and leaving it's building capacity for later it's the whole you can teach somebody to fish or you can give them a fish absolutely that's what that's what the philosophy of doing good works means right it's the working part doing good that's good too right i mean you can just give money you know you can just do that but this is a partnership that's been built um, for years that just continues to flourish and it's based on those kind of premises. And yes, there's social aspect to that clinic, but guess what? I mean, we've done water projects around the world, Madagascar, where vanilla is. Um, and well, how are they going? If you don't have a vibrant community where people can make an honest living, where their farm, kids can stay on the farm, um, you know, if you don't invest in clean water and schools and those kinds of things, then your farming farmers won't be there for you. And if you're doubling, you know, every, you know, seven to 10 years kind of thing, then you're you, going to have a problem. 
you have a problem and, and business doesn't think long-term. Frontier's mm-hmm. co-op model has allowed us to take the long view on things that most business structures or private entities or public companies, however we want to say it, um, are willing and able to take. And that's what's, that's our sort of our superpower in some respects. I've loved this conversation. We are coming to the end of our time, though. So I want to close with two different questions. My first is, what is the best piece of advice you either given or received related to this work? Um, it go back to the idea that, you know, you got to start with um, there's people a lot smarter than you and uh, you need to listen, which is in some cases hard for a person like me. So that's my biggest thing. I like it. And then where can people learn more about you and Frontier Co-op's work if they want to do that? Um, you know, certainly out on social media, um, and website, and our website, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. But probably one of the best things personally, um, I suggest, is on our LinkedIn page. Wonderful. Well, I will include all of that in the show notes, which you can find at engageforgood.com. Tony, thanks so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join me and share about your programs, your initiatives, and even your advice with our listeners. We appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good day. The Engage for Good podcast is produced in partnership with True Story FM, engineering by Pete Wright. Music this week is by Alex Make Music and Rex Banner. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, we hope you'll consider doing just that for our show. But the best thing that you can do to support Engage for Good is simply to share this show with a friend or colleague. Thank you for listening.